In Luke 7.16, from the Common English Bible, we read these words. Awestruck, everyone praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Now, we take it for granted, but the ability to see in a particular way, or the perspective from which we see certain things. The the point of view that we have really matters. It matters a lot. We often take our point of view for granted, but at a sporting event, if you're up in the nosebleeds versus down on the front row, you have a different perspective and you see different things. I was thinking about it recently and I remember about 20 years ago, my family was on a on a road trip, a vacation, and we went to the Grand Canyon. And I don't remember the Grand Canyon being all that impressive from the back of the parking lot. You kind of have to get up to it in order to see it because it's a big hole in the ground, right? You have to get up to see your perspective. It matters. The perspective you have on things very much matters. And what we believe about God shapes how we see God at work in the world. When it comes to faith and the way that we see what lies ahead of us, especially through God's work and the eyes of faith, sometimes we forget how deeply significant the point of view we have really truly is. Today, the reading from Luke 7 that we're going to read begins with a people whose point of view questions whether God is actually there to help them. They don't know if God is there to help them or just to keep them in line doing the right thing. But in Jesus, they see something different has happened and their perspective begins to change. In Him, they find a new way of seeing. And looking at 7.16 again, Awestruck, everyone praised God. They said, A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help His people. May God open our hearts to this as we read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Now a little later, Jesus went to a city called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd traveled with him. And as he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. And when he saw her, the Lord had compassion for her and said, Don't cry. He stepped forward and he touched the stretcher on which the dead man was being carried. And those carrying him stood still. Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Awestruck, everyone praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding region. 
This is the gospel of our Lord, for which we all say, thanks be to God. In the heart of downtown Thomasville, North Carolina, there stands, I bet you could tell me, a, a big chair. If, if you Google big chair, like that, that's what the article is called about Thomasville, North Carolina, a big chair. A big chair is right there in the middle between, I think it's the railroad tracks and Main Street. And I've only been through Thomasville a couple times, but I can picture the chair on the left as I was going to wherever it was I was going, down the street, and then hanging a left to, to, to head on to where it was we were going. Now this chair in question is a 30-foot concrete chair. It's a replica of a, a Duncan Fife armchair. Did I say that right? Thank you. And the one that stands today is not the original, but I'm not really concerned about the originality of it. Um, it is called the world's largest chair, even though it's not actually the world's largest chair. Um, but I was thinking about this chair and thinking about how a young child maybe who lives in that area might think about that chair. And they might picture that chair as God's chair. For children, we have an idea, a perspective about God and, and about how God might operate. That God might be big, larger than life, a figure whose presence exists somewhere else, but whatever that presence is like, it needs a giant chair. It's natural, because we've been told all of our life how big God really is. And so why would we think any differently about God than to think of a giant grandfatherly figure who has access to a big chair? That's one way to think about God. That's one way people do think about God. And I suppose I'm not terribly, personally, uncomfortable with that idea of God being bigger than me and having access to a really nice chair to sit in when necessary. But the picture of Jesus that we get in the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel today, is one that is not of a guy who sits in his favorite chair watching Main Street go by and counting the cars as the train, the train cars as the locomotives go by. In fact, Jesus is quite the opposite. He gets in the middle of it all. And this is good news for us and for everyone, for the world, in fact. We meet Jesus in Luke 7 in the city of Nain, a city that today is primarily an Arabic city, and it's located about five miles southwest of Nazareth, 25 miles from Capernaum, where Jesus had just, a couple verses earlier, healed a slave. Now, we don't know why Jesus was going to Nain on this day, but we're told that a large crowd is following him and word is spreading about him being a miracle worker. So, think about it this way. Jesus is there in Nain, a foreign city, and he comes across a dead person, a dead body. And then he comes across the, the dead young man's mother. She's grieving publicly because she has only 24 hours to get her son's body from where he died um, to his burial site. And, and, and if it goes any longer, she will be unclean, and that's a bad thing. 
in the religion that she is a part of at the time. So Jesus might as well be in a foreign town and he immediately comes across a dead body and all of this stands over and against contrary to proper Judaism of the time. The proper Judaism of the time would stay away from dead bodies and it wouldn't go to a foreign city and Jesus is over here. Jesus is doing what we least expect a proper, lawful, rule-abiding teacher to be doing. He's doing for those that some might think wouldn't even deserve it. But all of this is, for, is to fulfill his purpose in bringing about the kingdom of God, a new kingdom, a new way of seeing and being with God in the world. He's at work to provide the people a different understanding of God than what they ever had before. And that's why when we read to the end of the story, verse 16 should stick out. God has come to help His people. God has come to help His people, to help them, to them, seeing Jesus, a religious figure with authority, actually helping them is a strange thing. To them, God's presence doing something that is not simply being used to help them behave and follow the rules and order their behavior was an unexpected gift of grace and love. This is not how they had been seeing God. These people, they had been turned away from the temple too many times because they didn't dress right, because they didn't bring the right sacrifice, or they weren't following the laws exactly perfectly. In fact, culturally and religiously, these people in many ways had been beaten down by an oppressive Judaism. But Jesus has come to give them something different. To those gathered on that day, they saw that Jesus had come, God had sent Jesus to help His people. And what if a similar thing is true for us today? As Trinitarian people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What if the Holy Spirit has come into the world, not just to make the lines straight, the rules clear, the laws more particular, but what if the Spirit of God is among us to help God's people? That's good news. It's good news for us. It should bring us comfort. But it's also good news for the world that should drive us to something. Because when we say that, when we embrace that, when we embody that for ourselves and our needs, we also know we've got to extend it to others who have the great need as well. Everybody in this room, I, I believe, would operate under the belief we all came in here believing that God is here to help His people. We're in a, a post-name sort of world, aren't we? We hear it, we know it, and sometimes we actually are able to embody it as well, aren't we? But, but maybe if we read this passage, knowing that, remembering that, maybe we need to allow this passage to push us a little bit. Maybe we should see that as the biggest church in town, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of being the establishment. Now, this is no judgment on being the establishment. It's okay to be that way. 
It's just sometimes we need to remember that that is who we are. But we're willing to be more than the establishment church. I know that. I know that about you. And when we know that about ourselves, it allows us to read this passage in another way. and allows it to, to, to let God push us and carry us a little bit further than we might otherwise want to go. Sometimes we need to read this passage in such a way as to see the Holy Spirit, who we believe is alive, just might be alive in places where we'd rather not go. God's love, God's presence, God's Spirit is, is really at work in the whole world. We, we say that. We sang it in the children's building this morning. He's got the whole world in His hands. All of it. Which means... It means sometimes there's places where we might not want to go. But God's going to be at work there, right? We hope. For God so loved all the world, that means God is at work on the other side of the tracks too, not just on our side. It means God is at work in the country of our enemies, no matter who our enemies are. It probably means God is at work in the names of our times, And if God is at work in those places, is Jesus showing up there as well? Probably. And if Jesus is showing up there, do we need to go? We at least need to think about it. We at least need to be open and aware of such places, I think. And I wonder if we've really thought about those places and thought about how God might be at work in them, there, And thought about how the good news of this gospel is coming to them. How might it change the way we see God working among us as well? I wonder if we picked out whatever name was for us, Uganda or or Mexico, or for a group from this church in a couple weeks, Eastern Kentucky. I wonder... If, if going to those places and seeing God at work might allow us to participate in some way in God's love in a new way. Might the love, the grace, the forgiveness of God and the purpose of God be different? Might we, by participating and embodying that love and that grace and that purpose and that ministry, might we somehow participate in this good news that God has come to help His people. And if we went, or if we thought about going, or if we even just read stories about what was happening in those places that we'd rather not go, I bet, I wonder if, we too might see God in a new, in a better in a more beautiful and maybe a more full sort of way. I mean, if we can go to those who most need it, and if God is there with those who we least expect God might be actually with, well, then I think by definition we're actually seeing God more fully when we're seeing God somewhere else as well. I don't know, maybe it's because I lived in a lot of different places growing up. Maybe it's because 
I, I like seeing new things, but I have a hope about this. I have a dream about this, and I don't want to be afraid of seeing God work somewhere else, even if it's a place that I'm right now scared to go. Because when, when I think about what we do, when I think about who we are, when I think about what God has given us and who God has called us to be, and when I think about all that God has done around us and in us and through us and with us and to us, I think we're a people who want to be a part. We're a people who want to be a church who's willing to follow God to places where others could be amazed, where others could then say that line, oh my goodness, because of God's work through these people, I've seen that God has actually come to help His people. I was working through uh, the litany of emails that I get every day I click subscribe all the time so that I can enter some silly contest. And someday I'm going to win one. I promise. One of those days I'm going to open an email and, you've won a new bicycle. But one of the emails I clicked on this week, I don't read it every day, but, but a quote in this motivational kind of entrepreneur, businessy guru kind of guy email I get said this, Believe that the world is conspiring to help you. It was a sales tactic, and there was a two-minute video about it. But, but frankly, this is not the way we are... I don't know if it's our default to not see the world this way, but right now it's really hard to see the world this way, isn't it? I mean, there is a narrative in the broader culture, especially if you turn on the news, any news the radio news, the TV news, the cable news especially, the newspaper news. There is a narrative that says the, 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 the world is not here to conspire to help you, but that everything in the world is, is here to conspire to hurt you and to harm you and to take everything away from you. And I think the reason that that narrative works is because it's good for business. If you're scared, you keep watching to figure out how to not be scared. And so CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, and Rush, and, and Rachel, and Glenn, and all of them, no matter where you want to line them up on the left to right spectrum, they all profit. Because if someone is out to get you, they can sound the alarm for you. That's how it works. But is everyone really out to get you? I mean, really think about it. I mean, when your car breaks down or you're lost, or when you need a hand, doesn't God often bring somebody to help you? I mean, I've been to New York City many times, and I've rarely known exactly where I was going, but I have never actually been lost in big, scary New York City. And when I have talked to locals, they were more than happy to help me know where it was I needed to go. I've never gotten a flat tire on my bike while going for a bike ride and had to walk all the way home. Usually it's Chad Wilson who picks me up, but somebody always picks me up and brings me home. I've never had to call Chad. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I'm not hungry. I've had plenty to eat. 
relatively safe, and statistically speaking, we live in the safest society that the human history has ever known. It's true. But do we see it? Do we believe that God is here to help his people? Do we believe that the world is conspiring to help us? Because if we really think about it, we might find that it is. I know bad things happen, but for the most part, for most of us, it's a pretty good time and place to be alive. And I wonder, I wonder how we might see the streets of Oxford differently if we believed that God was here to help us, if we believed that the world is conspiring to help us. How might our community and our lives be different if we truly saw through the eyes that these people in Luke 7 proclaimed that God is here to help his people? Maybe you would hear, God has sent me to help his people. At some point, we're all going to hear that call. On Graduate Sunday, I, I, I usually I wish I could give this beautiful address to the graduates that somehow touched everybody's soul in a special way. Um, once a year I would get the opportunity to preach a graduate sermon in a way that touched us all, a pastoral graduation speech of sorts. Um, But I guess this year I did it the other way. I guess this year I preached a sermon to all of us that very much I think affects you all as well. When I think about the conservative Southern Baptist Church that I grew up in in Keller, Texas, And I think about what they warned me about when I was wearing my graduation robe too many years ago to remember at this point. I remember that they warned me about those evil religion professors who were going to challenge my faith and tell me that God was not alive and that I should give it all up. But what I found at my university was a new way of seeing God. That God was present there in my churches, in my social circles, even in those evil religion classes. God was there helping bring about a call to ministry. Now when those Texans who think they know it all heard that I was moving to North Carolina 16 years ago to go to Duke Divinity School, wondering, what are those Methodists ever going to teach a Baptist kid from the buckle of the Bible Belt? I was warned. I think they probably would have given me my church membership card like to take with me as I was leaving. Because they were like, there's nothing you're going to get out there that you can't get here. So just go on. But when I got to those Methodists at Duke Divinity School, I didn't find any evil professors at all. I'm sure there's a couple who claim God is dead, but then they read, misread Nietzsche as well. What I found was a school and professors and a culture that engaged my call and helped it grow and love and helped me fall further in love with the local church. I found a world that was conspiring to help me, not a world that was conspiring against me. And through those Methodists, I definitely found out that I was a Baptist. But each step of the way, vocationally, educationally, personally, spiritually. When I looked around, I saw a lot of things. And when you look around, you will see many, many things. You'll be able to see what you want to see. 
But I hope what you will also see, I hope what we will also see, is that refrain from Luke 7. God has come to help his people. And if you see that, and allow it to shape how you live and how you act, and how you engage in your education and in your life, oh my, I can't wait to see what God will do with you and for you and through but to all of the rest of us who are here on just another Sunday out of 52 that come around each year. What what will we believe? What will we see? And how could that belief drive us? Can we? Will we? Do we? Do we actually believe that God has come to help His people? All of His people. And if we believe that, might we see that we have a part to play in that? And if we have a part to play in that, and if we can see it that way, how might the way we view our sidewalks in town be differently? How might the view we have of our country, of other countries, and the world change if we believe that God is here to help his people? God has come to help his people in Oxford, across the tracks, across the border, across the ocean. I believe everywhere. God has come to help his people. I hope we can see it. I hope we can see what to do about it. And I truly believe that with God's help, we will see it. With God's help, we will be called forward to act as well. Let that be our prayer as we go to the Lord in prayer together today. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this day, and we give you thanks for your call that is upon us. We give you thanks that you are here to help us. And we believe, we want to believe so much that you are here with us each step of the way, conspiring to help, conspiring to support, conspiring to feed and fill and bring meaning to us and to everyone else as well. Lord, as your people on this day, hearing a word from you, may that refrain shape our every thought and belief. May we truly see and know that you have come to help your people. And may we find ways to participate in that love as well. That is our prayer that we offer to you today. In your great name, with great hope. Amen.